Good evening, church. Good evening. Yeah? Okay, great. We're all here. Um, thank you, Hattie. Yeah, so uh, my name is Victoria, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I moved here to Bristol um, just over, yeah, almost under two years now. Um, I've been part of St. Nick's for just over a year. Um, been here with my two brothers. You might see them like lounging about every now and again. Um, and we were living in Exeter where I did my PhD in theology. Um, so that's just a little bit about me. And um, it is my absolute privilege to be able to bring you um, today's word and message. Um, and as we've been kind of praying about today in the morning and throughout the afternoon, today is Racial Justice Sunday. And what that means, it marks the day where churches across Britain and Ireland um, engage with racial justice, including the prophetic struggle for racial equality. So today, uh, my message is based on, called Rooted in Love, and we'll be looking at the passage of the Good Samaritan, and looking more closely, really, at the attitude of our hearts and what God expects from us being his children. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, um, you can open Luke chapter 10. The uh, scripture will come, thank you, on the screen, so you can also follow along. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, there are a few things I want us to consider when we read this parable that Jesus gives. 
over the centuries, there have been, of course, many interpretations as to what the Good Samaritan means, and a lot of them kind of conclude with the fact that it is good to do, um, you know, good deeds and be a good person. And a lot of hospitals and charities across the globe have taken on this motif of the Good Samaritan. But today, I want us to kind of go beyond that point of just being a good person or trying to do things that will make us, you know, feel good. But actually, we can learn something about the attitude of our hearts in relation to loving God and loving our neighbor. So first, we see that this expert of the law approaches Jesus. This was someone that was essentially a lawyer. He knew the intricacies and every iota of God's law. And so he comes to Jesus ready with ammunition. You see that his motives from the beginning are not straight. He assumes that this is a work-related issue, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He thinks, surely it's a matter of doing something that he has to kind of gain to have this. And Jesus, being the wise rabbi that he is, he responds to his question with another question. He says, what is written in the law? This is the law that you are an expert in, so you tell me what's written in it. And he doesn't disappoint. He quotes the law from uh, Deuteronomy 6, 5, which says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And he takes again also the quotation from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 80, which says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. These two verses summed up in one law. And Jesus is satisfied with his answer. He tells the expert, do this and live. But Jesus isn't implying that one can obtain eternal life by just simply obeying the law. Jesus is saying that we need to live out these commandments. It's the physical action of loving one's neighbor and loving God in the day-to-day -day of kingdom living living in accordance to the principles of the laws of God, which is eligible for eternal life. But the expert being a lawyer, and we all know how lawyers are, still wanted to justify himself. Justification is a dangerous game to play with God because it assumes our own knowledge. We assume our own righteousness. We assume that we can just get by because of our own way of doing things. And the expert here, he's doing just that. He thinks that his interpretation, his knowledge, and his wisdom, he wants to prove that that could be enough. So Jesus challenges this notion with this shocking story of the Good Samaritan. And it does this to change his mindset, to destabilize the boundaries that he had put in place. Now, in Jewish, in Jewish culture, this expert would have had a kind of ring of boundaries. If you visually think in the middle, we have kind of the religious parties, which is the priests, the high priests, the Levites. Outside of that, you would have kind of, you know, your common Jews, the rulers, you know, people that led the synagogues. Then you would have maybe your Gentiles, and then you would have the Samaritans right on the edge of those borders. So when Jesus replies to this expert with this story, he literally changes and shifts these boundary lines. So it's interesting because when we see that Jesus replies 
the word, the Greek for that reply actually means to take up. So it's to take up a challenge. Like Jesus is kind of ready to go into a duel of words with him. So we know that Samaritans and Jews, of course, did not get along. And when I was trying to actually like prepare and trying to like visualize how this might be, I started, I found myself like going down this rabbit hole of Googling like sports biggest rivalries. Apparently England versus Wales in the rugby is like a thing. Um, <laughs> as is like Man U and Liverpool. I was like, oh, okay, interesting. But trying to like understand this kind of hostility, I don't think it really encapsulates the pure hatred the Jews had for Samaritans and vice versa in terms of these two races. And the hostility existed for generations. So if we rewind 722 BC, the Assyrians, um, this great world power, had come um, to a divided Israel. So at this point, the kingdom of Israel is now split into two. We have Israel in the north, Judah in the south. So the Assyrians come and obviously conquer Israel, the, the north. And as a result, they bring other kind of foreigners that were conquered from other nations, and they all settle in this land. So as a result, what happens? People marry, people have kids. So the result of that, Samaritans were the descendants of the foreigners and Israelites. And as a result, they became this kind of tension between Samaritans and Jews because the Jews really didn't consider Samaritans to be true children of Abraham. And the Samaritans themselves had their own forms of religion. They still worshipped Yahweh, but they, number one, um, preferred to their own law, the Pentateuch, which is only the five books of Moses. So those were the only books that they considered to be law. Also, they had their own temple away from that was which is Mount Zion, which was based in Jerusalem, where Jews would worship. They had their own called Mount Gerizim, which if you remember in John's gospel, when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, and she says, why do you Jews think you can only worship the temple in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, there will come a time where it won't matter where you worship, but those that worship me will worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus comes to really destabilize and dismantle these boundaries that have been set up by generations of hostility and hatred. And so through this, there are three main categories I want to draw out from this story. We first have the robbers, we have the religious, and then we have the righteous. And each of these groups reflect a different attitude towards the man that was beaten up and left for dead. So to the first hearers of this message, this was a really believable story. The road from Jerusalem down to Jericho was a well-known road. I think we have a picture of just what it, would, what it looks like. So Jerusalem being set on a hill, um, you would literally go down an uh, incline of about a mile, 3,000 feet above sea level. And this was a very famous road known for robbers. It was actually nicknamed the Way of Blood because it was known that people would be attacked often. And it was considered that it was much better to actually travel in groups. So for Jesus kind of saying a man coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho was believable. People were easily able to visualize this road. And so when the robbers saw this Jewish man, they saw him as someone to take advantage of. 
they had the attitude of what is yours is actually mine, so I will take it no matter what. And for the listeners, like I said, the idea of being attacked by robbers wasn't anything new. And so Jesus moves to the second group, the religious. And I'm sure for the first hearers, this is where people will start to mumble a bit. The priest and the Levite walk past. Now, priests were direct descendants of Aaron, the brother of Moses. Um, so Levites were people who would serve in the temple. So essentially, every priest is a Levite, but not every Levite is a priest, if that makes sense. Great. <laughs> so when the priest and Levite walk past, they pass by. And it's possible that they were already coming from the temple. Now, there's an argument that states because they didn't want to um, you know, touch a dead body, they would be unclean um, because they were going. But actually, from the story, we know that that's not the case. They had no excuse. Coming from Jerusalem, we could probably assume that they'd already finished their you know, temple duty. So they were heading back home. A lot of people didn't actually live in Jerusalem. They lived in surrounding cities. So they would go to Jerusalem, do their service, come back. So there was no excuse for them to actually not help the man. And the interesting part of the attitude here is that after all of that public service, they would serve in a temple, make prayers, sing praises. After all that public show of loving God, they could not extend that to their fellow man. Their attitude is, what is mine is mine, and I will keep it to myself. Thank you very much. They were so caught up in this busyness of serving God without remembering the fundamental anchor and extending that service to their neighbor. And I wonder how many of us fall into that trap of being so busy, we're so busy serving, we're so busy helping out, but we neglect the needs of those around us. It's the irony of it that we need to stop playing church and start living church. Kingdom living requires us to step out of our comfort zone. I want you to actually notice the verbs in, in this passage. So we see that the priest, he, what does he do? Passes by, right? The priest passes by. The Levite passes by. The Samaritan came. And the Greek word there is actually kata, which means to physically move towards someone. We cannot be called into this kingdom living without quite literally approaching those that are despised, without quite literally going to those who are forgotten and marginalized and in need. We need to stop playing church and start living church. Even the very nature of who we are, we are part of a church. Church means ecclesia, people who are called out. God, as God's children, we have been approached by God. God came in his mercy to save us. God came in his mercy to make us whole. We need to take on those characteristics of what God is and who God is. 
when I had just finished uni, I had a friend um, who came to visit me during the summer break before graduation um, in South Africa. So she came to South Africa for the first time um, and she was showing us pictures of her family and her mom and it was great and we had a wonderful time and she had a lovely time and we went back um, to do our graduation. And when we got to the graduation, we like met up with each other's families and my mom and I were like literally like girl gossiping about, oh my goodness, look how much Anna looks like her mom, look how much she like copies all her mannerisms and like vice versa, it was like this kind of mom swap between the two of us. And it was just so funny that like, she said the same thing that I wouldn't notice and I said the same thing that she wouldn't notice and how much we were both like our moms. Um, and I feel sorry for my brothers because it's a bit deja vu for them because like, they're like away from mom and they like always tell me like, oh my goodness, like you sound just like her. Like so many, so many things. And um, trust me, trust me, I try not to, but I cannot help it because being her child, I just take up some mannerisms of her without me even thinking about it. And isn't that what we do? Like we say we're not gonna be like our parents and we're not gonna do things. And then we end up sometimes just becoming a bit more like them. But they always say that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And that is so true with us, even in the spiritual sense, as God's children. We need to take on the characteristics of God. We need to take on compassion, take on kindness, take on love. The Samaritan came towards a Jewish man, the good Samaritan. And you can hear the gasps in the crowd because the word good and Samaritan do not belong together under any circumstance. And you see that the, he saw a Jewish man, and it's so important, and Jesus does this, he's so brilliant. He does this on purpose. Not just any man, but a Jewish man, to be able to bring forth how truly shocking this is. And this man, the Samaritan, took pity on this Jewish man and began administering aid to him. Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which is the first aid kit of the first century Palestine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Compassion, care and cost. It didn't cost him nothing. His attitude of what is mine is yours. Can you imagine giving your Visa card debit details to like an Airbnb to be like, here's my details, just take care of this person I've just met. Do with it as you will. Could you imagine helping someone that if they were conscious that they would literally despise you and think less of you, think you less than? The same was true for this Samaritan. If that Jewish man was conscious, he would be, do not touch me. That is the kind of attitude that would have prevailed. And yet the Samaritan took on the characteristics of a heavenly father. He was not thinking about showcasing, making a showcase of public displays, but he was focused on showing love. His actions were rooted in love for his neighbor he didn't see the man as a Jew. He saw him as a fellow human being. God does not care for our busyness for him or his work. 
I'll say that again. God does not care for our busyness for him and his work if we do not fortify that with the love of our neighbor. The prophet Micah brings this case against Israel from the Lord. Israel are so busy with trying to make God happy. They're so busy with trying to impress him. They're bringing offerings and sacrifices and singing songs. And yet, this is what the Lord says through the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. How, I'm using the message version. How can I stand up before God and show proper respect to the high God? Should I bring an armload of offerings topped off with yearling halves? Would God be impressed with thousands of rams, with buckets and barrels of olive oil? Would he be moved if I sacrificed my firstborn child, my precious baby, to cancel my sin? But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. In the story, do you notice how the expert of the law, he can't even say the word Samaritan. Jesus asks him, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? I mean, the average person would be like the Samaritan, but he couldn't even get himself to that point. He just said the one who had mercy on him. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Again, referring to the first answer of the first question. Remember the first question that the expert asked? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus now kind of gives a two-way a two-way answer saying, go and live it out. Go and live it out. Go and seek out where you can show mercy. To show mercy is to demonstrate compassion, forgiveness, and kindness. It is expressing the very heart of humanity in light of God's love. To be actively showing mercy regardless of social and cultural and racial boundaries to be aware and recognize our own responsibility, to allow our heart to break for what breaks his. The expert of the law had boundaries set in place. Remember that visual boundary of markers he had. He was constrained by those boundaries because this person is that far out, I'm not going to go that far out. But we need to be active proprietors of mercy. Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan confronted these boundaries and dismantled mindsets of the day. Likewise, as children of God, our active service should be in the combination of loving God and making ourselves as living sacrifices for his kingdom and loving our neighbor. So that question, and who is my neighbor? Who had God placed on your path? Remember, each person, they were walking the same road. They were on the same path. 
The priest, the Levite, the Samaritan were all on the same path, but only one responded with an attitude of showing mercy and love. Who is my neighbor goes beyond prejudice. Who is my neighbor goes beyond racial and ethnic boundaries. Who is my neighbor goes beyond the social and class lines. Our world today is so polarized. We live in such a polarized culture. But as children of God, we need to take on the characteristics of our Heavenly Father. Our outward expression of love must be rooted in our devotedness to God. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 14, do everything in love. Everything means excluding nothing. Do everything in love. Let's stand and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your word that brings light into our darkness. We come to you, Lord, with heavy hearts, burdened with the weight of injustice and discrimination that takes place in our world. We stand together with our brothers and sisters created in your image who continuously face hardships and difficulties. We lift their cries to you, O Lord, hear our prayer. Grant us wisdom to stand up and speak out where we can. Grant us compassion, Lord, to seek peace and maintain it. Give us courage, Lord, to be your hands and feet and vessels of your spirit and reconciliation. You, O oh Lord, are a balm in Gilead. Bring healing to hearts and bodies that have suffered from the consequences of injustice. Help us to be righteous witnesses of your love. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen.